Hello, friends and folks, and welcome back to Romance of the Two Networks. I'm Six Demar from Scanline Media. I'm Jennifer Uncle from Scanline Media. I'm Jackson Tyler from Abnormal Mapping. And I'm Mem, also from Abnormal Mapping. And we're here for chapters 88, 89, and 90 of uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. 75%. Yeah. Uh, does anybody have any updates in Kingdom News? No. It's my new favorite segment. No. Okay, no. <laughs> Are you going to try and sell us on the Netflix TV series Kingdom? Listen, if you've got anything that includes the word Kingdom, I think it's valid. No! <laughs> I will make this a thing. You will not stop me. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But one of these days, there's going to be Kingdom news. When they started the Shrieking Shack, they thought they wouldn't have anything to say about J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter news. J.K. Rowling what, hasn't been dead for 600 years. Well, guess what? Neither has... Uh... <laughs> okay. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Neither has neither has Kong Ming. His spirit lives on to this day in every, every poster that's ever lived. Uh, can't make the poster. It's true. At least I got to make M tired. That's that's something. Oh right? no, we were all already uh, tired. This is a tired. I, know. I would not Let's describe leave. my reaction as tired. Okay, well, oh, please. What well, well, what do we got then? What's what's your reaction? I here? would like to talk about Runs Three Kingdoms chapters seventy or 88, 89, and ninety. <laughs> we could talk about. We could talk about seventy. What happened in seventy? I don't let's, fucking know. That was weeks ago. It was quite probably some time probably Lou Bay okay, did so. some stupid shit that I hated. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he was alive back then, so that would that would that seems likely. Uh, all right, chapter eighty-eight. Riverland's forces cross the Lu and capture again the foreign king. Zhuge Liang sees through a false submission and makes the third capture. Uh, freed by Kong Ming, Meng Huo claims that he actually fought his way to freedom, and now he sees the secret to defeating the imperial commander. He camps on the other side of the river Lu to wait out Kong Ming. The forces of Shu learn that the river is poisonous during daytime and cross at night. Meng Huo's men decide enough is enough and capture the man-king and turn him over to Kong Ming. Meng Huo argues that this capture doesn't count, and Kong Ming lets him go with a smile and a shrug. Convinced he knows Kong Ming's weaknesses now, he launches another attack, but finds the camp empty and is seized again. Again, Meng Huo refuses to submit, and again Kong Ming smiles and lets him go. Kong Ming explains his logic to his men finally, and prepares for the next engagement with the Man-King. Which side would prevail? Read on. This is... These sets of chapters, like, uh... It's... Uh, like, when I initially saw the chapter titles and realized how we were in for a whole arc here, I was initially sort of dismissive, but... Like, they they seed a little bit of something interesting in here at the very beginning with the whole oh this river turns into poison at this time of day and then it just kind of builds and builds from there with a both faction wise and bizarre um status ailments that happen later on oh god not status ailments god i, I sound like such a nerd right now <laughs> um the thing i would maybe suggest if everyone else wants to agree to this is that we just cover we do all three chapters and then talk about them okay because right. I have a lot to say, but they apply broadly to this whole arc. Yeah, yeah, we haven't actually really had so like three chapters that are just one thing quite like this. There's no cutaways, it's all one story. 
That's very fair. All right, let's just let's just get into it then. Chapter eighty nine. The Lord of Wuzhang puts his fourth plan to work. The king of the man meets his fifth arrest. Uh, Kang Ming waits out the man tribe, then fakes a retreat, doubling back to capture them. Meng Huo double dog dares Kong Ming to capture him a fourth time, and Kong Ming does so with a laugh. Heading southwest, Meng Huo hides with King Duosi, whose territory is protected by poison springs, dangerous animals, and a deadly miasma. Kong Ming's men fall victim to the springs, but heaven provides a cure in the form of Meng Huo's older, bro- older brother, the wise hermit Meng Ji. With heaven's aid, Kong Ming captures Meng Huo again, but again he is released. Before he goes, Kong Ming Meng warns Meng Huo that he's getting tired of kicking his ass. Would Meng Huo ever be subdued? Read on. Chapter 90. Giant beasts are employed in Kong Ming's sixth victory. Rattan shields are burned in Meng Huo's seventh capture. Uh, Meng Huo joins forces with Mulu, the chief of Bana Hollow. Mulu rides an elephant, can summon wind and rain, and command the obedience of animals, a dangerous foe indeed. Kong Ming has his men build a hill to summit the Man Tribe's defenses, then pr- produces simulacrum animals to frighten the Man Tribe's beasts into fleeing. Meng Huo's wife, Zhu Rong, laughs at her husband's incompetence and takes to the field herself. After matching Zhao Jilong blow for blow on several occasions, she is finally lured into an ambush and captured. Meng Huo tries to feign surrender to kill Kong Ming, but Kong Ming sees through it and captures him a sixth time. Kong Ming lets Meng Huo go with another wag of his finger, and the Man King calls upon Wu Tugu of the Black Lance Kingdom next, whose troops use impenetrable rattan armor. Kong Ming lures them in and massacres them with fire and captures Meng Huo a seventh time. Upon being informed that Kong Ming is going to let him go again, but is too embarrassed for Meng Huo to even do so in person, Meng Huo finally relents, humiliated and sobbing. Meng Huo is officially confirmed as Chief of the Hollows, and Kong Ming leaves to go home. On his way, nature turns against the Imperial forces, and Kong Ming turns to Meng Huo for advice. What does the Man Chief say? Read on. Okay. All right, can I go first? I got yeah. I got a lot here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think these are my favorite three chapters in this entire book um, because they are unpleasant and beyond the metaphor, like beyond like the storytelling, the way in which the narrator sides with Kong Ming generally because they think he's cool. I think this is like a really interesting vision of what it is for like colonizers to suppress native descent in a place. Kong Ming comes in. Meng Huo refuses to be quelled, uh, and Kong Ming treats him with the condescension of someone who is interfacing with, like, a child. They, they, he doesn't believe Meng Huo is, like, a threat. He'll let him go. He'll bring him back. This, like, game back and forth that he lets Meng Huo buy into uh, gives him just enough rope to go out, and every time he lets him go, he gets a new ally. Just one, though, and it's like, now I can successfully defeat Kong Ming, and he comes back, and Kong Ming thwarts them, usually kills the ally. Here's Meng Huo, uh, again, lets him go. The generos- the great generosity of Kong Ming. And he does this as Meng Huo is cutting a swath through people that ideally he would go and, uh, like, ask all of them to form a confederation, and maybe they could overthrow these people who've settled all in their lands, um, but doesn't do that. Because to him, and because Kong Ming's machinations, this is like this game of these two men trying to outwit the other. And Kong Ming even comes out into the battlefield dressed in his Taoist robes and his fan, like he is, like, you know, enjoying this. He is lording it over in his, like, traditional dress. I'm just a common man running my troops. Um, he's in charge of this whole kingdom, like, basically. He, he's not the emperor but he might as well be um mm-hmm. and through this like he just decimates 
every part of this like so succinctly and so easily uh, to the point where he does an entire genocide on a group. And these are groups that are like depicted as uncivilized, right? Like, uh, they ride wild beasts. The men aren't even clothed. A woman goes out and fights in her man's stead. Like these are signifiers of like lesser people that are not as refined as the Chinese kingdoms yeah. of the Han. Um, and through all this, Kong Ming not only def- like gets uh, Meng Huo to submit, but they talk at the end after that that everyone is so glad that after seven times of trying to fight the king, the you know the what is he prime minister or whatever of He's this prime place, yeah. uh, that he is gracious enough to let them live and thrive on his own. Like he leaves them because he's like, if I leave people, they'll just murder the people. Like I'm not, I'm just going to let them go, and we win. We own them all, and they they buy into it because they see it as an act of generosity when he knows he can't actually control these people, and it's talks like so uh like resolutely about like the sad nature of they make shrines to kong ming after this because he fucking subdued them like spirit and body like he doesn't just own these lands now uh, these uh, lands believe that they are owned by kong ming and that's a very different thing and mm-hmm. it's amazing to see how fucking evil this guy is <laughs> through all of this yeah yes he also he has that moment i mentioned where it's uh it's what is it? The end of chapter uh, eighty-eight, where he's like talking to his men because there, there have been multiple points where where it's like his men are like, ah, we don't understand why we're doing this, and he's like, he sits them down. He's like, no, you have to understand that uh, if we just beat them, then the, you know we'll leave and they'll rebel again. What we need to do is we need to be really like we need to be really cause we need to win them over, and he's saying this like like he's like you know doing this like hearts and mind campaign when what he's doing is he's just like beating the shit out of these people over and over and killing a lot of them just one of them in particular he won't kill yes it's not some great kindness he's doing like he's but it's it's exactly the right person to engender like sympathy that he did the good thing when it's all said and done Mm -hmm. exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and there's that whole bit in chapter 89 that m was alluding to earlier where um, he's out in his royal robes and he's facing against um, the um, the man forces and they're all stripped naked and screaming at him. And he's like, oh, they hate our civility. So if we just give them a few days of screaming their lungs out, we can just march right over them. And of course, the book treats this as some sort of genius strategy rather than being like the worst fucking human being uh yeah no i i uh, i really like these chapters um especially in the lens of like right understand that the book is a uh itself imperial propaganda about a different period of empire than the one it's portraying yes um like understanding that context of that and just i've rarely seen and i guess it's also because like i i'm you know i'm not reading uh old uh, English literature in the same way, which I'm sure is just as openly colonial, right? Uh, it's not it's different to colon- different to what we think about when we think about uh, colonialism in like European empires in the uh, like 1600s or whatever. It's a different thing, but it is similarly imperial here. What's happening? And it's just it's it's so well portrayed. Well's the wrong word, but so like honestly portrayed, right? This is just the belief system. If you kill everyone when but dot your t's and cross your eyes and be a kind kind uh like strategist not only you know like you say not only will you like acquire the territory but the people will love you you will literally own their hearts it is it's yeah it's a lot 
It's especially interesting because, you know, throughout the course of reading this book, I have, you know, at times been like, okay, so like, what does, like, what do the records of the Three Kingdoms say about this event, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you'll check it and you'll be like, people will be like, well, this is basically what happened, but like, probably this, you know, big fight didn't go this way or whatever, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Historians are like, probably Meng Huo didn't exist to the point where the name Huo and the character they use for it means captured in Chinese, like, this is a complete straw man. Mm-hmm. It's not just that these events didn't happen. This guy probably never existed. Yeah. And that's really interesting. But the idea of, like, you know, using this, bec- acknowledging this is a problematic term, but Hong, uh, Meng Huo is like the noble savage, right? Like, he's the character mm-hmm. who exists to be the rival of Kong Ming as his people run around in their, like, mystical machinations and their special armor that, you know, is amazing against water but weak to fire and all this other stuff that, like, these these tribes and kingdoms are have as, like, their unique national characters as they show up to be the villains for, like, three minutes. Um, but he gets to be the one who rides through this and uh, handles it. And at the same time, we come across, like, his older brother when they go to get the medicine to help them cross, like, the the springs that are all poisoned in weird, mysterious ways. And his brother's like, while my two younger brothers, uh, you know, rebel, I submit to the will of, uh, you know, the Emperor of the Han. And this is what this, like, this is what goodness is. And he is this ridiculous, like you know, one of the good ones beatific figure, this monk living in this mystical glade that they land in uh, mm-hmm. to show that, you know, for all of Meng Huo's machinations, he's still the bad guy. Like, you still want him beaten. Um, the propaganda is really strong in these chapters. Yeah, yes. it's this whole fairy tale that's invented around the fact that probably what really happened was the Southland rebelled and they went down and just kicked the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. And also, like, Kong Ming gets a whole section where he is so sad that he did a genocide on a people. <laughs> He's like, oh, this is just, I shouldn't have done it, but I had to. They gave me no choice. I'm going to be marked for the rest of my days because of this, but they just had it coming. Yeah. Heavy is the head that wears the doing the genocide hat. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. They even have that whole nature versus uh, adv- technolo- technological advancement bit where um, he's facing off against, uh, he's facing off against the chief of Bana Hollow, um, who has the ability to command animals and rides a gigantic elephant. And his solution to that is to bring out um, a bunch of uh, carved creatures that can breathe fire um, when when inhabited by humans and uh, have very like razor sharp claws. So it's the situation of oh, of course this. Of course, this civilized setup will beat these people. Yeah, the the way in which, like, mastery of science and, uh, you know, battle to uh, what I want, like, theory, is the way in which he defeats all these people who, you know, just believe too much but aren't very bright, uh, definitely is loaded. Yeah. And especially, like, this whole book, right, is about this era in Chinese history where it's just terrible. Everything's bad all the time for everyone. And the vision of the best world is, like, to unite the Empire. Um, But even in this book where, like, we've had 90 chapters of basically everyone being the worst person and proving all of the values hollow and false as everyone opportunistically, like, squabbles for the barest bit of power before being betrayed by the next guy. Um, 
like it, it is not a like the empire is not a thing worth investing in at this point and like you know we can say that as modern readers or whatever uh because of what we think but like i think it's really interesting that this these chapters are not just like if this was just like a fairy tale about the way that uh the the noble empire can um bring to heal the simple people of these like weird exotic tribes that live in this strange area like that would be uh that would be weird enough right but it's the fact that it comes 90 chapters into a book about how everyone inside the empire is awful and they will kill each other at the drop of a hat uh but and also it's not it's not Liu Bei doing this stuff it's Kong Ming right. who is like you know the tactician but doesn't know like he's always the person who is not willing to be compassionate so see him play act of compassion is intentional in the text yes mm-hmm and he's also like the guy that cares about like the the empire more than people right like he is about uniting the he, his goal is uniting the empire whereas Lube's goal was like kind of that but then you know he got distracted by his friends and then did a stupid campaign um, and like so you just get to see him basically do the ideal form of what we know as empire building and it's just ugh, ugh. Yeah, there's a there's a paragraph, a long paragraph at the chart start of chapter ninety, which really just lays out like this like I this picture of like, hey, just in case you feel like that that there there may be, you know, that you don't feel totally right about this, let's talk about how uncivilized these people are. Like, oh, they don't take medicine, they just pray to a medicine spirit. They don't have laws. Just if you if you do something bad, they just kill you. Uh, when women come to age, they are, no, are not allowed to keep their purity. They just go have an orgy. Uh, they don't plant crops like consistently. They just plant rice sometimes, and if it doesn't work out, they go hunt snakes. Like it's just so blatantly like I don't. It's, it's gross. It's such a gross part of the of the book, but in a way that's really interesting, as you as we say. So yeah, I mean, it being like a historical text about a worldview of a time 600 years ago in china um means that i can approach this like blatant colonial propaganda or blatant imperial propaganda uh with um you know more of a remove than if i had seen someone today writing this sure of course of course uh, so it like becomes an interesting historical text um and because of its like historical value uh you know like you can read this as a story about a tragedy that happens to the man people in a way that uh i mean I, that's what i do that's that's what it is to me that's what happens um it's just it's similar to like you know the books about how sao sao's evil and everyone should kill him because he's the worst person who's ever existed but the you know, there's a huge everyone's a south fan who reads this book right like i mean mm-hmm. not necessarily everyone on this podcast but it's a popular read it's a book built for people to latch onto ideas that uh are not present in the text because of how openly propagandistic the text is. I am when the it- populist on this podcast. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also, I really like this. Cha- these chapters being, you know, because we are, un- we have the understanding that Meng Huo was almost certainly not a real person, and of course that historically this is not how this shit went. Right? This is this is he- this is leaning so heavily in the propaganda area. It makes all this like. This book is making so many, like, it makes it feel, hmm, what am I trying to say? Um, the fact that it's like, oh, you know, before, like, occasionally there's some magic or something, right? Magic happens in this book, but, like, this is so magic-dense 
of like, oh, there are the four cursed springs, and this guy can command the wind and rain, and animals follow his command, and these people have impenetrable special armor. And there is just so many layers of like these people have like magical advantages that it feels like it's just covering up like it's it's explaining away. It feels like an elaborate handway for the fact that probably what happened was they went to suppress these people and it was just really hard for them because these people knew the land and didn't have any patience for this imperial bullshit. Um. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, all the stuff with, uh, they go to great pains to point out when Common needs to keep finding uh, native guides through the land. Like, it's it's barely metaphor, right? Like, it just is that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, Kong Ming needed guides through the land, not because the river turned to poison at certain hours of the day, but because he was just some fucking ignorant city boy who didn't know he was, what he was doing. Yep. Yeah, it's it's really I I I did also really like these chapters and I appreciate M I I I think you did a really good job of putting it into words of just like how the the feel of these chapters being so different and so interesting. Yeah. Like once all the mythic heroes get out of the way, there's a chance for like the the book to go a little mask off with like what it's talking about like you know the book thinks Lu Bei is like the way in which this book is presented Lu Bei is the, the hero and he's dead so now we can just watch Kong Ming fucking implode and do the evil shit that he's been doing the whole time but without the hero sitting next to him to like try to suck uh, like the context away from that a bit mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure also a, a particular interest to me this is a minor note but um. I finally now know who Zhu uh, Rong is, Lady Zhu Rong, um, oh, because this is, is she. I assume she's all over Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> uh, she, I don't, I don't think she's generally all over Dynasty Warriors. For me, she okay. happened to be all over Dynasty Warriors because I played uh, Dynasty Warriors Eight Empires, and um, I, I like, I fought alongside the like the the Southlands, right. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a like a recently hired mercenary, and there was this one lady. Uh, Lady Zhu Rong, who had like white hair and was like seven and a half feet tall and was like sick as hell. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm descended from the fire god. And I'm like, that's so cool. You're sick as hell. And she was my like ride or died best friend. And I was just like, I don't know who the fuck this lady is. <laughs> uh, turns out she also was pretty cool in, in this book, though, also because she was married to Ming Huo, she probably didn't really exist. Yeah, it, it's. It's the similar thing that uh, John Woo did for Redcliffe, where they found a particular, uh, they found one of the few women characters in this book that actually get to do something cool. And they're like, okay, what if we just added a bunch of stuff to, what if we gave her a lot of more stuff to do? I bet people would like that. And turns out, yeah, we do like that. She was so tall. It was crazy. It was great. (laughs) She's cool in those games. Uh, and yeah, she's she's Lady Zhu Rong, descended from the fire god Zhu Rong. So presumably a pretty direct lineage. She she whips. She does whip. It's true. Uh, I do I do like it. It like yeah them them explicitly after after you know how how this book has has done women a disservice. And you know like again this is a historical text based on a time. Like I'm not like I'm not like God. How could they? It's like no. I mean this. That's how the writing was at the time. But they do go out of the way to be like, yeah, she fought Xiao Zhilong. And not only was she, like, evenly matched with Xiao Zhilong, but, like, three times. Then Xiao Zhilong tried to do some, like, trailing sword shit, right? 
And she's like, this is a trap. No. <laughs> um, and eventually she just got impatient, which like, you know, it happens. But like, yeah, it took her, it took a long time for them to finally get her because she's a good fighter and also not just going to blunder into a trap like everyone around her, including her husband. Um, so pretty, pretty sick. Yeah, that that's yeah. a classic trick that has fooled many of people with more with more chapters in the book than she and oh yes still, absolutely <laughs> and she's just like nope not having any of this shit people love to fall for that yeah i i want to find out i, I want to like look up I, if i can find like a youtube video because they mentioned specifically like the trailing sword like what is that it's obviously a specific technique and i want to i'm sure you can find that out yeah yeah, next time I'll report back on the trailing. Next time I will uh, post a YouTube video of myself performing the trailing sword on my my horse that I have. <laughs> okay. I don't have a horse. That's not gonna. That's not gonna happen. But get a horse. You know, I would love. To, I love horses a lot. I really love horses. So I would be very happy to do that. But horses are expensive, and I am technically not unemployed, but I don't have a job right now. And I'm sure if you asked to borrow a horse, people would kind of look at you funny if you were like, yeah, I just wanted to take out my sword and do a few cool tricks on top of your horse. Though, I mean, given the, you know, maybe I could just borrow a cop's horse right now. Yes. <laughs> Yo, if you go out and perform a training sword on a cop's horse. <laughs> <laughs> just a, 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 like a Twitter video of me doing trailing sword on riot cops that are chasing me. There was the that video of the the person doing the the skateboard flip off the the of the car that was overturned, and mm-hmm. there, was a, there was a viral tweet about it, and I just was like that didn't happen. Come on, don't don't tell me that happened. Just you know. And then the video came out. I was like, oh, things happen. There's no way. He f- flip tricked off a burning cop car. Too cool. Yeah, I saw. Um, I did see a video of a person just like riding down the streets, like through traffic, on a stolen cop's horse. And yep, people just great. cheering. It's like, yeah, <laughs> good for you. Uh, yeah. We don't like the cops around here. <laughs> but uh, if you could, yeah, no, that's that's our position. Yeah, I feel like our position is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's uh, it. These were yeah, good chapters. Yeah, these were really these were really fascinating chapters, and as as I'm I'm glad you said like let's not take them chapter by chapter because it would have just been us being like talking about things that happen in other chapters and and just making a mess of things. So it was good to get it out of the way and just talk. Now hopefully we can see what the rest of everyone else is up to. <laughs> what's what's uh Sao P? That's his name, right? That fucking asshole. What's he up to these days? Uh, fucking everything up. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, listen, the, unfortunately, you asked the least interesting question. What's the guy who always fucks up up to? Probably fucking up again, I'm guessing. There's room for so many mistakes in this world. Yeah, But, but he's, true. so far, he's only made the same mistake over and over, which is his advisors are like, we should attack, and then he waits, like, six months, and he's like, all right, I'm taking your advice to attack, and they're like, that was six months ago, and he <laughs> says, too late, I'm doing it. He's just done that, like, five times. It's true, he has done that, like, five times. What yeah, give him a kid? new way to fuck up, like, uh, go bring him to the sword that bleeds, and he's like, oh, I got the solution for this. I'm just gonna get a bigger axe and try it with that. 
I really, it was, it was, it was really frustrating to me because I wanted to believe that it was one of Cao Cao's flaws of his like egocentricness when he was like, man, my kids really suck, but now his kids are in charge and they really suck. (sighs) I guess I should have believed him when he said like, "Mm, this spoiled rich kid is not up to the task. That actually is a pretty believable statement. So anyway, Jackson. Hello. Uh, I think people, I think people really appreciated what you brought to the table today and at other times <laughs> on this podcast, and they want to, they want to find out where they can get more of that, that juice. I'm sorry. That's, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> There's nowhere else to go. There was nowhere else we to are, go. We are canonically sodden with content. So Jackson is in fact full of good liquid that you can get <laughs> in your ears. Uh, through listening to our podcast, <laughs> but don't worry, your ears are really well built. It's how you can dip your head underwater and then like not have. I hate of- what is happening right now. I hate <laughs> this so much. This is the grossest shit in the world. You just you just, you just go to abnormalmapping.com and grab our episode on Kentucky Road Zero, and you squeeze that motherfucker right into your ear, and it'll clear up anything you got going on right up. Your wax is no match for the acid of abnormal mapping. Uh, okay, you can find me at... Hey, shut up! You can find me <laughs> at HeadfulsOff on Twitter.com. You can find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com, including, uh, like Em said, Abnormal Mapping. We have an episode of Kentucky Route Zero that just dropped. I'm very proud of it. Um, and you should go listen to it. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. Uh, if you want to support our podcast, you can do that at Patreon.com slash normalmapping. Uh, we put out the Great Gundam Project every week. Two episodes of Gundam, two episodes of Space Runaway Idion. Right now we're in Gundam Wing, which everybody likes, so you should listen to it. Uh, and get on board for when we get into Gundam X, which no one's ever heard of, but I'm equally excited for. Um, it's a good time. Uh, you know, we had six on just the other week, and we've, we've got more guests ahead, and it's a good, it's, it's great, actually. Gundam rules. It's such a good time. Uh, Jen, if what people wanted your liquid, where would they get it? I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find me uh, on Twitter at JBU. Jen, that's not what I asked. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna make me freeze up now. <laughs> Anyway, I'm on Twitter at JBU3. Um, you can find most of my stuff on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. We are recording a new episode tonight of Novel Not New, a Truen podcast, which you can find at readinggames.online. It's going to be on The Last Express, which, uh, spoilers, that's a pretty cool game, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think the drink that best represents me is Amp Energy, uh, because it's basically like Mountain Dew, but you added like liquid metal to it. That's what it tastes like. And I feel like that's a good metaphor for for six, six, none of us were talking about drinks. It was liquid though. I wasn't talking about any of this. <laughs> no, Jackson knew what was happening and was fleeing the scene as fast as possible. Oh man, oh, man. I actually, I actually missed the euphemism. Great. I just actually was, I actually was just innocent here and thinking hey, about. Hey, would you like to juice. innocently pour me that podcast liquid of yours? I thought I was, I was thinking of like lemonade or something. Wow. <laughs> It's not it's not often that I'm the one who's completely clueless because I podcast a lot with Jennifer. Anyway, I'm on Twitter at six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. Uh you can find me there. There's a pinned tweet tells you what I do, but mostly it's just, you know, scanlinemedia.com and patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. 
Um, we have we have Oopsal Anime. We have Scanline Tabletop. We do cool shit. You should check it out. Right. We're, do we have anything else uh, other than joking about podcast liquid, or can we end the podcast now? I mean, was it like was it like a vape liquid thing? Read on. <laughs> Juice him if you got him.